On the prequel to the 33rd episode, we're learning about Headless Horseman folklore and previewing the Legend of Sleepy Hollow short story and Sleepy Hollow, the movie. Well, welcome back to This Film is Lit, podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books and sometimes short stories. We're taking again one small short break from our Harry Potter s- series. Uh, we only have six and seven left. Yeah. Which will be three episodes total because seven is a two-part movie. Right. So we're so going to split gonna, that gonna into split two that episodes. One instead of a... God, we would have like a six-hour podcast. It would be podcast. a forever long <laughs> podcast episode, so we'll do that one as two. But in the meantime, for Halloween, we're doing The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So we're going to get into learning things with this film is lit. But first, we have a short little plug. So uh, the other podcast that we want to talk about is Stories of Your and Yours mm-hmm. um, or SYY podcast on social media. Um, it's a weekly short story podcast. It's it's pretty neat. He mm-hmm. kind of does like a, almost like a 1920s radio hour kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, reads short stories and that sort of thing. I listened to the H.P. Lovecraft episode today, which is really interesting. Uh, I learned it because he also, at least in the H.P. Lovecraft episode, did a, a kind of a dive into the history of H.P. Lovecraft about mm-hmm. his writing and that sort of thing. And, and, and it, was, it was really interesting. And then, yeah, and then he goes in and reads the stories and adds sound effects and music. And it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. And he's so, got a great voice. He's got a way better voice <laughs> than either of us do for this. So, yeah, so that's host Sean Ennis. Again, Stories of Your and Yours podcast. Um, so he is actually going to be doing an episode over The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and his episode will be coming out on the 31st on Halloween. On Halloween. Um but if you listen to our episode, you like what you hear, and you want to know even more about the story and hear a really cool, uh, out loud rendition of it, yeah, you can look up SYY podcast, yeah, and uh, give that a listen. Yeah, it might even be good. You can hold ours for a week, listen yeah. to his first, and then or or listen to ours, and then you go back and you'll get the whole the, the whole story, the whole experience. Yeah. It's a, it'll be a fun little partnership there with the. Being able to hear the whole story and then hear our commentary on how they compares with the 1999 film. So check out stories of your and yours. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. So talk to me about Headless Horseman folklore. All right. So uh, the Headless Horseman is not as unique as maybe we thought it was when we were taking lit classes in school. I, in my very brief research I did today about the movie, found out that was the case. Yeah. Even just reading about the movie. Um, so, Headless Horseman has been a motif, which I think we've covered this before. A motif is a recurring theme or idea. Um, so, that's been a motif in European fo- folklore since at least the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Um, it, traditionally depicted as a man on horseback who is missing his head. Pretty self-explanatory. Pretty pretty self-explanatory. Aptly named. Yes. (laughs) They weren't Um, thinking outside the box on naming. Uh, Depending on the tale, the horseman might be carrying his head, um, or he might be missing his head altogether, and he's searching for it. Um, So we're going to take a, a shallow dive into a couple different types of headless horsemen that we see in different European mythologies, uh, starting with Irish folklore, and uh, a name that I am almost assuredly about to mispronounce, uh, a, a Dolahan. Dolahan? 
Dolahan sounds Dolahan more correct. Dolahan sounds more correct. Or it could be Dulahan. Dulahan. I would imagine. I have no idea. I tried to look I it up, and I couldn't find anything that was satisfactory. Um, but it, it means dark man. Okay. And what this is, and again, in Irish folklore, it's a headless Dulahan. demonic yeah. fairy. They're really into fairies in Irish yes. folklore. Super into the fae. Um, usually riding a horse and carrying his head under his inner lower thigh... Or holding it aloft, which allows him to see at a great distance. Uh, he wields a whip made from a human corpse's spine, which is pretty metal. Very metal. <laughs> um, and when he stops riding, a death occurs. Um, he calls out a name, at which point the named person immediately drops dead. Also pretty metal. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, so some, so that's some terrifying Irish folklore for you. Mm-hmm. Um, then we move over to British folklore, um, which has a tale concerning a man named Ewan, who was decapitated in a clan battle at Glen Glen Kinnear on the island of, on the Isle of Mull, and that's an area that he is said to haunt to this day. Ooh, spooky. Um, so the battle denied him any chance to become a chieftain, and it's said that both he and his horse are headless. So the head, the horse got decapitated? Apparently. Well, that was a mighty swing just... from whoever, or did they do it separately? <laughs> was like one first and then the other? Because that would be really impressive to get both in one go. <laughs> and also seems like overkill. If you, you had to have gotten the horse first. Yeah, horse first, then the guy. Because if you didn't, why? T- you could just use the horse. Although I'm sure there's like tales of old of you know winning armies just killing all, Kill the, all the horses because yeah. also you know <laughs> insulting the ground or I don't know. But yeah, it seems interesting that both of them would be headless. Um, there's also a 14th century poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, um, which some of you may have read in school. It's, didn't it's, ring a bell to me. It's on the curriculum occasionally, more so in like college courses. Anyway, um, that story also features a features a headless horseman. Uh, the titular knight is headless um, after he is he is beheaded by Sir Gawain, and the Green Knight lifts his head up with one hand and rides from the hall, challenging Sir Gawain to meet him again one year later. So then we move over to German folklore. Because you know the Germans are writing about something as grisly as this. Yes. Uh, There are two different stories uh, from the Brothers Grimm that feature headless horsemen. Uh, One tale features a woman from Dresden who goes out early one Sunday morning to gather acorns in the forest. Uh, At a place called Lost Waters, she hears a hunting horn. And when she hears it again, she turns around and she sees a headless man in a long gray coat sitting on a gray horse. Ooh. Mm, Yeah. Spooky. Spooky. Uh, In the other tale, a headless horseman called the Wild Huntsman blows a horn to warn hunters not to ride the next day because they will meet with an accident. So in some German versions of Headless Horseman tales, he seeks out perpetrators of capital crimes, sort of like a, a vigilante almost. Oh, so, and, and uh, like the uh, perpetrators that are on the run, yeah, on the land, yeah. that haven't been brought to justice. Like a bounty okay. hunter. Yes. A headless bounty hunter. Interesting. Um, in some other versions, the Headless Horseman will be accompanied by a pack of black hounds with tongues of fire. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder if those will make an appearance in 
this film. Perhaps. I'm really hoping that the Headless Horseman wields a whip made of a human corpse's spine in this film, but we'll see, well, I guess. We shall see. Anyway, um, so Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow takes its cues from these European stories, as just about all early American literature did. Yeah, um, well, of course, Yeah, it took yeah. its cues from whatever they were doing in Europe. Um, but these days, it's probably the most well-known Headless Horseman yeah. story. Yes. Um, this is slightly off topic. At least topic. in America. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, at least in America it is. Uh, slightly off topic, but uh, I had to I had to bring this up because it was so interesting. Um, uh, something I found out while I was researching headless horseman folklore is that there is a Brazilian tale called the Headless Mule about the ghost of a woman that has been cursed by God for her sins and condemned to turn into a fire spewing headless mule. That gallops through the countryside every Thursday night. Just Thursday nights. Just Thursday nights. Wow. From sundown Thursday to sun up Friday, cursed to be a headless fire spewing mule. So I would like to know why there's not a movie about that. Yeah, and what? Why Thursdays? That's strange. All right. Well, shall we move on to book facts? Let's do it. Book facts. All right. Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Book facts. Uh, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow is a gothic story by American author Washington Irving, who was one of the most prominent early American writers. Uh, it's a short story. Uh, short stories are generally classified as self-contained stories under 20,000 words, although that is the high end of the spectrum. Um, and, uh, you know, exactly how we classify them is a little nebulous. Yeah. Um, but that's a, a general definition of a short story. Um, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow was initially published in 1820. So this might be a, the earliest. The oldest yeah, the done. earliest, early, oldest thing yeah, that we've earliest. done. Yeah, it's probably got to be up there. I'm trying to think of what else would it be. I don't think we've done anything. But, but prior to this, I don't think we've done anything older than like mid-century. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah this, this one's pretty old. Uh, initially published as part of a collection of 34 essays and short stories entitled The Sketchbook of Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Crayon, Gent. Um, so it was published under a pseudonym initially. Mm. Um, he published it as this Jeffrey Crayon character. Mm -hmm. uh, along with Rip Van Winkle another of Irving's famous pieces. It's one of the earliest examples of American fiction with enduring popularity. Uh, both are certainly his most anthologized and most studied yeah. works. I don't know anybody who didn't have to read one of these two in school. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. I, I definitely do. And, and now it doesn't really necessarily fit in with the theme of our show, but uh, I I have forgotten it completely, but I definitely think I read this at some point. Yeah, uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, but it's been long enough that I do not recall it. Right? Yeah, that. almost guaranteed. If you went through the American school system, you had to read either this one or Rip Van Winkle. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so despite taking its cues from various European folklores, as I mentioned earlier, the story is also pretty uniquely American. Mm-hmm. Um, it has themes of progress versus tradition, supernatural intervention in the commonplace, and the plight of the individual outsider in a homogenous community. Um, pretty plight. Yes, plight. I thought you said plate. And I was like, yeah, plight. Plight of the individual. Now I'm worried I mispronounced plight. it. Oh, well. You all know what I meant. No, it's fine. I think, I think the first time you said plate, like oh, okay. P-L-A-T-E, and I was like, what? Yeah, you said it um, right the second time. Anyway, uh, all pretty uniquely American like cultural anxieties, especially during the early 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a couple things about Washington Irving because it turns out he was kind of an interesting guy. Uh, I don't remember him being interesting when I was in school. <laughs> But, <laughs> I don't remember anything about him, so yeah, maybe um, I didn't come across. His so he was America's first international best-selling author. Oh, yeah, and he was a big advocate of writing as well. He pushed for writing to be considered a legitimate profession because um, it kind of wasn't up to this point. Hmm. Um, not in America, at least. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. I guess maybe a lot of the other. People who wrote at the time, you wrote as like a secondary. Thing. Yeah, yeah, you wrote as a secondary thing. Like, it is, that, that is pretty common. Like a lot of the, especially, I don't know about nonfiction, but a lot of the, or sorry, I don't know about fiction, but a lot of the nonfiction writers at the time, or not not nonfiction, but like the people who were writing or who who published stuff, it seemed like you know they were like politicians. Right. They were like they did a thing. Yeah, and a then lot he wrote of, about that thing. A lot of the writing that was done in American literature was it had a secondary purpose it was political like you said or it was like documents for something yeah like i don't know if you had to read any of cotton mather's courtroom documents it's rings a bell but i'm not sure it's about witch hunts (laughs) yeah you would recognize it if you saw it they're hilarious anyway um so he pushed for writing to be considered kind of its own like legitimate profession Mm-hmm. Uh, he also lobbied for greater copyright protections in America, and he also offered encouragement to other up-and-coming American writers, including Nathaniel Hawthorne, who wrote The Scarlet, Scarlet Letter, Letter. Uh, Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick. That's that one that's just about a fish, right? Yes, yeah, just about a fish. Um, and Edgar Allan Poe, who needs no introduction. Yeah. <laughs> Another interesting tidbit. Washington Irving is also partly responsible for our modern idea of Santa Claus. Really? Yeah. Um, In his satirical piece, A History of New York, he inserted a dream sequence that featured St. Nicholas soaring over the treetops in a flying wagon, Hmm. which was later co-opted by people and dressed up as Santa Claus. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Sleepy Hollow. Movie facts. I am Constable Ichabod Crane, sent from New York to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies. Taken by the headless horseman, taken back to hell. So you may notice it is not called The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. It is Sleepy Hollow. It's the name of the film. It's a 1999 film directed by Tim Burton. There's a lot of different ones we could have chose from, chosen from. We decided to go with yeah. probably the most popular 
modern one. Well, yeah, there are some older ones. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because I did want to clarify why we're not talking about the animated Disney I didn't even know there version. was one. Yeah. Um, it's, in, it's in a, gosh, I think it's probably from the 40s. Oh, okay. um, I- Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Oh, I did know about packaged. that. That did come up yeah. in the um, research. So I just wanted to clarify that we're not talking about that one because it's basically a condensed version of the story told through song. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's there wouldn't be a whole lot to discuss. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're not doing that one. Okay. So yeah, Sleepy Owl is a 1999 film directed by Tim Burton. Uh, it was written or slash adapted by Andrew Kevin Walker, who's known for Seven and not much else. He wrote the movie Seven. Hmm. He wrote a few other ones, but that was his most successful film by far. Uh, and then this one, I would guess, would probably be second most. I've never actually seen this movie, by the way. I have not either. I don't know. I th- I've seen parts of it on TV when they play it during, like, 31 Nights of, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, But I've never watched the whole movie. Film stars Johnny Depp and the titular, not titular, but in the main role of Ichabod Crane. Mm-hmm. And Christina Ricci as Katrina Van Tassel, Von Tassel, who's, hmm. I guess, the other family involved in this in this story. I don't remember anything about it. Also features... Miranda Richardson, who you might remember as Rita Skeeter. Ooh. Michael Gambon, who you might recall <laughs> as Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> Richard Griffiths, who you might remember as Uncle Vernon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ian McDermott, who you might recall as Emperor Palpatine from the Star Wars films. Christopher Walken, who you might remember as Christopher Walken. <laughs> Michael Goh, or Gao, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but he's most known as Alfred, at least to Americans, as Alfred from the first four Batman movies, mm. the two with uh, Michael Keaton, and mm-hmm. then uh, Batman Begins and Batman and Robin. Christopher Lee plays Saruman. Uh, and then a couple more smaller roles. Tony Maudsley, who is the voice of Grop. Oh. And Casper Van Dien, who plays Johnny Rico in Starship Troopers. So it's got a so heck of a, a ton of people yeah. in it, and a lot of British people, well, which we'll get to. Kind of like a... Like a, like a little Harry Potter reunion. I thought here. it was kind of funny when I was going through the cast. I was like, holy cow. So the casting director for this film was Susie Figgis, who is also the casting director for the first Harry Potter film. Oh. But only the first Harry Potter film. She's like, she's done almost all of Tim Burton's films. Uh-huh. And she's like one of the biggest, if not the biggest casting director in the UK. I thought it was a little interesting, though, because some of those characters don't show up until later Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Rita Skeeter, obviously, is, right, doesn't show up till right. four and... Grop doesn't show up till five and there's one other one. Oh, and then obviously and I so there's actually five total actors who have been in the Harry Potter franchise uh-huh. on screen. The other one being Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. Right. Uh, but she was also not the casting director for that. But I would imagine that some of those like it wouldn't surprise me if Matt Michael Gambon had been in the running during mm-hmm. the first castings. You know what sure, I mean? That she sure, brought yeah. in and, and that sort of thing. And just you know, they uh, in UK, everybody's in everything anyways, just because there's not that many of them. So, but yeah, five, five different actors in this film have also been in Harry Potter films, hmm. which is kind of wild. We happened to pick this movie in the middle of all of our Harry <laughs> yeah. Potter stuff. I didn't even know that. I didn't either until I was like, holy cow, that's funny. Johnny Depp ended up adopting Goldeneye, which is the name of the horse that plays... Really? The, the name of the movie, the name of the horse in the movie is Gunpowder. Mm-hmm. But uh, the name of the horse that played Gunpowder was Goldeneye. And Johnny Depp found out it was going to be put down after oh. the movie. For some reason, I, I I could not find the reason why, if it got injured or something. Uh-huh. But Johnny Depp ended up adopting it and taking it, I guess, to his, I, he probably has a farm or something somewhere. Yeah. So apparently, historically, Ichabod Crane was always written as a very unattractive man, maybe, yes. potentially. 
So Johnny Depp offered to add prosthetics to his face <laughs> to make himself look ugly, but Tim Burton was like, no, that's not necessary. He wanted to base the character of Crane more on his unattractive personality traits hmm. as, a, as opposed to him being physically unattractive. Interesting. Uh, and those traits being supposedly, and we'll, we'll get into it eventually in the main episode, his squeamishness and eccentricity, but... I put this down, but I figured you would sh- it would show up in the in the book notes, and you didn't mention it. Uh, Washington Irving claimed that Ichabod Crane and Katrina Van Tassel were real people. I did see okay. that somewhere. That Ichabod yeah. Crane is based on Colonel Ichabod Bennett Crane, who was born in 1787 and fought in the War of 1812. Washington Irving Ichabod Crane, Colonel Ichabod Crane, had met in 1814 at Fort Pike. Hmm. So they apparently a real person he knew in real life. This is the first adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow that does not involve an actor playing the Headless Horseman having to conceal his head in the cloak somehow. Because <laughs> this is the first one where we have CGI. Nice. Where they can, they cover, basically just put a blue mask over and then it's the same way they use, do the, uh, how a green screen works mm-hmm. or a blue screen. Uh, and whenever you see set photos from, you know, the latest Marvel film and everything's blue in the background. Uh, it's the same idea. It's also the same way they do the uh, invisibility cloak in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's just like a blue cloak that the computer then goes in and digitally replaces with okay. the background. So that allows them to like make it look like it's disappeared. Yeah. You pick a color in the instance of movies. In most movie sets, they use blue and it mm-hmm. has to do with chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they used to use green and that had to do with chemistry. I mean, we still use green in the TV industry, but then they switched to blue in films for other digital reasons. I, I don't know the specifics of it, but you pick a color like that that's a very specific shade of a color, and then the computer has an easy time picking everything that that's color that mm-hmm. is that shade of blue in this mm-hmm. instance, and you can digitally erase it, essentially, very easily. So you just make sure that there's nothing else that 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 is that shade of blue yes which yeah there's ways to refine it now originally yeah and in certain instances certain applications yes like your local weatherman when they're standing in front of a green screen that's what i was thinking they can't wear the same color and we like i said they use green Uh in most cases um so they can't wear anything that's that color green because it's sort of a dirty process with how we do it in the TV industry. It's like a live process. So right. there's not in film. You can get away with it because there's ways to isolate and just mask out the parts you want to basically. So you could get away with it more in movies. And, and if you have mm-hmm. a, like a longer post-processing time, but, but yeah, generally speaking, it makes it easier if you don't have anything that shade <laughs> of color. Uh, Winona Ryder was offered the role of Katrina Von Tassel originally, but she turned it down, hmm. which is interesting because she's worked with Tim Burton yeah. And Johnny Depp. Most probably yeah, they, the only other time they did, I guess, was Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands, right? but yeah. Yeah. There was no insight as to why she turned it down, but mm. she did. So they then went on to Christina Ricci, who Johnny Depp was like, This is weird for me because I've known her since she was nine. I don't yeah. know when, what they had been in together, but apparently, oh, she had a role in Fear and Loathing, but I don't know how old she was at the time. She may have been a young kid then. Yeah. Maybe that was when they met. Another fun thing, so along with Harry Potter having five, or this film having five future Harry Potter Mm -hmm. alums in it, it also has three, at the time, future slash past Sith Lords in it. (laughs) (laughs) Ray Park, uh, who played Darth Maul, Uh is a stunt double for the... Headless Horseman at times. Oh. He's a stunt. He's like a stunt guy, and uh-huh. that's why he played Darth Maul. I because, didn't know he was a stunt guy. Yeah, that's why he ended up playing Darth Maul. Is he just did all the stunts, and right. Darth Maul has very few lines or anything. So Fair they enough. just 
He doesn't really need to do a lot of <laughs> acting. He mainly needed to be able to flip around and do stuff. And so that's he also played like Ray Park. Also, it was like I believe he did Toad, a lot of Toad stunts in like the X Men movies. Mm-hmm. And that he, he was a stunt. He's a stunt guy. So he played the headless horseman. But it also stars Christopher Lee, who plays Dark Tyrannus mm-hmm. in the prequels, and Ian McDermott, who I mentioned earlier is Emperor Palpatine slash Darth Sidious. So, hmm. and then finally, because uh, oh, this is always interesting to me to see. Some other people who were considered for the role of Ichapod Crane. And they include, can you have any guesses? I have three. For Ichapod Crane. I'm leading man. Uh, 1999. Ooh. Three guesses. Mm, Tom Cruise? Nope. Brad Pitt. Yes, that's one of them. Nailed Brad it. Pitt was one. I don't even know. Yeah. Okay, I'm, who else was it? The other two were Liam Neeson. Interesting. Which makes sense because yeah. that was right around the time of the prequels mm-hmm. and I don't remember what else he had been in before that but something surely and uh, this one's interesting and makes sense but I could never see him doing it uh, Daniel Day-Lewis I could potentially see that if this were like a pretty close adaptation of I the could story. see it if it wasn't Tim Burton yeah I don't I think could, he would I want anything see, to do with a Tim Burton yeah, movie I could see Daniel <laughs> Day-Lewis because in the story Ichabod Crane is kind of like prim and fussy yeah so I could see him doing that but I, f- I I don't know much about this movie but I feel like that's not so much the take on it I don't maybe. know they mentioned his squeamishness and eccentricity as yeah. being what he wanted to focus on so maybe I guess my thing is it's just I, I guess I could see it, but Daniel Lewis is, you know, so notoriously like this character actor who just yeah. deep dives into every role he does. And, and and just sort of like a Tim Burton, like, campy, not campy, but slightly campy horror yeah. flick doesn't strike me as like Daniel Day-Lewis's thing. Yeah. But I could but, be wrong. But if, I think if it were a different director, I yeah. could see him yeah. doing yeah. that role. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. If we were doing... Uh, Martin Scorsese's Legend of Sleepy <laughs> Hollow. He might be down for that, but all right. And that was all I had for the movie facts. So let's wrap it up. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to this. Me too. I this is one of those movies. I don't know how I didn't see it because it's right in the wheelhouse of when I will watch movies like this. Yeah. Like this is the year the Mummy came out, which is like my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> it's kind of the same, like you know, type of not the same type of thing. It's very different. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like I would have been into this movie. I'm not sure why I never saw it. Really have no idea. Well, I, I mentioned this at the end of our last episode, but uh, the tagline for this movie is heads will roll. Right. So I'm already kind of like, oh, God. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Tim Burton film, which those range from either really, really good to like really, he, really not very good. He's kind of hit or miss. He, yeah. He goes both directions. And this is right around the time period, I think, when he kind of started veering towards the yeah. Less good, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't remember how this was received. I think mediocre. I think like yeah. it was like, yeah, it was pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine. But we'll we'll see. We'll see. So that's it. Legend of the Sleepy Hollow for next week. And then after that, we're getting back into Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Would it be our next Harry Potter book? Until then, you can find us on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, and Reddit. We have a subreddit. You can also, if you would like, rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever else you find our delightful podcast. And until next week, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and keep being awesome. Awesome.